0: I have index cards if you could take these home and give me their address and contact information if it's an APO address give me that and then I'm going to hand them over to Susan and they're going to make something really special for them and get this it doesn't matter which branch they're in so (laughs) it's okay if they hoorah or hoorah Mary Larson is it hoorah how does the army say it or is that how the marines say it and Carol Wright, how does the Air Force say it? Carol is in the bathroom. <laughs> does anybody know how the Air Force does their chants? Does anybody know what I'm talking about in general? <laughs> okay. All right. Do y'all anybody just th- worship does right anybody now? in the audience? We don't have worship today, so this is going to go on and on. Would anybody <laughs> in the audience like to demonstrate the Army's chant?
1: Oh my word.
0: It- okay. Mary will. Mary is busy talking. Oh, okay. Anybody in the audience have a Marine? Susan Murphy? <laughs> I want you to do the Marine chant on the mic today. <laughs> you have a dad that was a Marine, right? <laughs> She's a Camp Lejeune girl. Okay, we got to Do we have on. a big hook? <laughs> okay, next thing. Christy Victor is still collecting gift cards. You guys have been so wonderful in supporting her efforts. The uh, collection boxes in the foyer... And one last thing, the shirts for Allison Mobley are in. I think there's about five or six back there. Mary Larson, again, is sporting a shirt. Mary's talking, again. (laughs) So um, if you have, um, if you signed up, I have a little envelope for the money, and it's on my credit card, so I will break your legs if you don't pay me $15. And the proceeds go to Allison. All right, that's it.
1: Good. That was awesome. What great worship, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, watch the
1: steps. Wow. Wow. You can tell we're at week nine we start out like this. Um, yeah, and when you look like this, like I was laughing this morning, my hair, are y'all? So those of you that aren't here and listening online, too bad, you should have come to class. You could see this hairdo because it's awesome, but... I will tell you this, you all can all know this, that I'm not kidding you. A couple days ago, someone actually physically grabbed one of my little piggy tails and went, what is that? It's an it actually happened. So you're welcome. This is how much I love you. This is why I love that we're audio and not video this time. Okay, girls, let's pray. And then we're going to get started on 2 John. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you today. We... We are excited um, to see what John's going to bring us over the next couple weeks as we close out this study, Father. He's, God, the truth um, that he's just piled on. Lord, what do you want us to walk out with? Um, We want to understand what you needed them to understand at that time. But, Lord, what do you want us to do with that? How do you want us to apply that to this life here and now in 2016? Um, Father, will you make that clear today? Um, use my words. I pray they're your words, not mine. Um, Father, we pray for this time in Jesus name. Amen. All right, we are in Second John. I know it's confusing, because it seemed a lot like First John, didn't it? But just a little shorter. So there's that. That was good. Um, so open up your Bibles to Second John, and we're going to take a look at a few things. Um, a quiz. What are those three things that John, bless his heart, keeps telling us are evidences of our faith? Are they obedience, love, truth, right? All three of those things we keep seeing over and over. And we see them again. However, what are the two that John focuses on the most, would you say, in Second John? Did you see a couple kind of rise to the top a little bit? That truth and love, right? Truth and love. And we're going to go into that. We're going to talk about how his directive for us is to make sure that we understand they're not independent of one another. I mean, they can be, but then we're not fully living and abiding in what Jesus has planned for us, right? He wants it to be truth plus love, like one big smushed together thing. And so that's how we're going to look at it today. We're going to look at this whole this whole lesson in 2 John as What is he trying to teach us about this whole truth plus love thing, okay? So that's where we're going to go. So if you have your Bibles open, you're going to love this. I am, again, I'm not using the children's Bible because, well, there's pictures, and you can't see the pictures from there. But I am going to do this. I'm going to teach today. I'm going to read this text to you guys from the message, okay? Because as we've all been reading the ESV and all your NIV and HCSB and all those Bs, the, the message says it in some language that I think might help us kind of pick through the truth a little bit in a different way. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to start in just a minute. I'm going to read the whole thing in the message. But first, what we're going to do is we're going to break this whole thing out into kind of three manageable pieces. Okay. The first is that I'm going to talk to you about the context. What do we, what do we know about when we study the Bible? The first thing we need to do is we need to understand who wrote it when it was written, who they were writing it to, the context, right, of the truth. Because there was literal, not figurative, truth that people that he was talking to that we need to understand before we start trying to apply it to flower mound thinking, okay? So we're going to talk about context. We're going to look at the content of the letter, and that's where we're going to read it in the message. And then we're going to ask, what is truth? What is truth? And then we're going to finish it with, how do we then walk In that truth plus love equation. How do we walk with those two together? Okay. So let's start with some context. Let's look at 2 John. Now. At the beginning of the Bible study. Which has been like a lot of weeks. So you might have forgotten everything. I talked a little bit about. Who it was written to, kind of what some of the thoughts were, but I'm gonna go back over some of that to refresh you a little bit, okay? Because remember, this is a separate letter. First John, we've closed that letter. Now we've opened a brand new letter, something brand new to different people, somewhat of a slightly different message, right? So here's a few things I want you to know as you take a look at Second John. Know this, okay? It's brief. Is that just the greatest? It was so short. I was like, really? 13? Wow, okay, this is really cool. Um, In the Greek, it's the second shortest chapter in the whole Bible. Do you remember what the the first shortest chapter in the whole Bible is? is? It is actually 3 John, which is where we're going next week. See, it just gets better and better and better. And by better, I mean we love to spend time in God's Word, right? No matter what. It's very brief. Now, I've read a lot of different um, scholars' opinions, and you know what they say about this one? They say it's so brief that in the Greek it could be contained on one papyrus sheet, one piece of paper. And so we were talking about that this morning in our group. Like, how cool, how cool would that be to receive this letter written in the handwriting of the beloved disciple? And But that's what this was. So it was short. So he probably wrote it short because he had, you know, I had this much paper, and this is all I got. So it's short, it's brief. Um, it's written in true letter format, unlike 1 John. Remember 1 John we kind of had to deal with, oh, he didn't even greet anybody. He just launched right into some tough stuff. This one goes more along the lines of the way the format for writing letters was, meaning he identifies himself, then he identifies the person he's writing it to, and then he goes into a typical greeting, the content, and then some sort of salutation to close. Okay, Typical letter. Uh, probably written between AD 80 and 95. And this is what's interesting about that is it's believed that um, he was on the island of Patmos where he was exiled, okay? And this is when he wrote this, but what's cool about that is if the timing lines up the way most scholars believe, he wrote 1 John first, wrote that letter, he must have had a little letter writing session, sat down and wrote that one, and then wrote 2nd and 3rd John probably at the same time and all of these were written after revelation, so that means these two letters, second John and third John, were more than likely the very last parts of our Bible to be written. Isn't that interesting? These are the last words before it was closed and complete, never to be added to, never to be changed. so there's significance there uh, we have a very specific person it's written to, right? You talked about that in your homework. It's written to the elect lady and her children. Um, there's a couple thoughts. Did you have that in your group? Did, did people, some people think it was a specific person and some people thought maybe it was figurative and it was a church perhaps? Um, well, just, just like I always like to say, yes, you're all right. It's absolutely true. This is what I found. Uh, it's one of those things that really, really, it's, I think Becky said, there's beauty in the mystery, right? We don't know if it's a specific woman and her children and her family and her home. We don't know. We don't know if it's a specific church. A couple theories, which I thought were interesting. One said, there's a thought that maybe he wrote it to a specific congregation. And at the time, if you'll remember, there was mass persecution going on in the churches and most of these churches were meeting in homes okay imagine the homes so they were probably like you know like lantana homes right like you know 3000 square foot houses big ho- no there were these tiny little places where people were congregating right so they were intimate and more than likely lots of families all crammed into this little space and and so that's where church was happening so the thoughts are that if it was specifically to a woman and her family she might have been the host of a church in her home, very likely. It also could be where he was actually just writing to a dear friend and trying to encourage her, motivate her um, in the course of all this persecution going on. Another thought, which I thought was interesting, is it could be, it could be that he was writing. This is, this is like secret. This is, this is fun. He could be writing like in code. Right, All these churches are in persecution. So we don't want people to know if this letter gets taken by someone else. We don't want them to know that there's a church meeting over there. So I'm going to act like I'm just writing a leisurely letter to my friend when actually I'm writing to a congregation that's meeting in secret. That could have been the case. It also could be that um, he used the term like we've seen him use before, that family terms, you know, that the elect lady and her children, he could be meaning just a church. Um, lots of different thoughts, but here's the bottom line. John knew exactly who he was writing to, and the recipient knew who was writing to them. What we do from that is we then see, okay, these are all the options. Now, God, what was he trying to tell them? And then what does he tell us, right? So those are, those are some of the thoughts. Um, the, the question then becomes this. We know that whoever he's writing it to, they're dear to him. Would you agree? When you read it, like, you kind of get that feeling. Like, they, he, he, you know, he's the beloved disciple. He's the one whom Jesus loved. He loves the recipient of this letter. And it makes it easy for us to read it and realize that this is God loving on us. And so what does he wish to impart on these beloved people that he's writing to? So you have the context. Let's look at the content. And let's see what he is Trying to let these folks know. So if you have your Bibles open to Second John, um, I'm going to read in the message. So it may look weird and different, but just, you know, listen, follow along. See if it makes some sense or maybe shifts your thinking on a few things, okay? Let's start with verse 1. My dear congregation. So right there, right? Peterson, the one who translated this, which line of thinking is he in? He's thinking it's a church. But remember, he's a guy. That's his opinion, okay? We don't know that for sure. Here's how he says, my, my dear congregation, I, your pastor, love you in very truth, which is so weird and we couldn't figure out why it says that, but I'm going to just keep going. Okay. And I'm not alone. Everyone who knows the truth that has taken up permanent residence in us loves you. He loves these folks. Let grace, mercy, and peace be with us in truth and love from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Son of the Father. I can't tell you how happy I am to learn that many members of your congregation are diligent in living out the truth. Something interesting, if you don't have a message in front of you, he uses the word truth there with a capital T. So, interesting to note. So going on, he says, but But permit me a reminder, friends, and this is not a new commandment, but simply a repetition of our original and basic charter, that we love each other. Love means following his commandments, and his unifying commandment is that you conduct your lives in love. This is the first thing you heard, and nothing has changed. There are a lot of this. I love this. This is my favorite part. Okay. This might be the whole reason I'm reading this to y'all. There are a lot of smooth-talking charlatans loose. Do you like that? I don't even know what that means, but I love it. I feel like I went back to 1940s or something for a minute. Uh, There are a lot of smooth-talking charlatans loose in the world who refuse to believe that Jesus Christ was truly human, flesh-and-blood human being. Give them their true title, deceiver, antichrist. There's that word again. Verse 8, and be very careful around them so that you don't lose out on what we've worked so diligently in together. I want you to get every reward you have coming to you. Anyone who gets, I like this too, anyone who gets so progressive in his thinking that he walks out on the teachings of Christ walks out on God. That one bears repeating. Anyone who gets so progressive in his thinking that he walks out on the teachings of Christ walks out on God. But whoever stays with the teaching stays faithful to both the father and the son. So verse 10, if anyone shows up who doesn't hold to this teaching, don't invite him in and don't give him the run of the place. That would just give him a platform to perpetuate his evil ways, making you his partner. Awesome. That's my part. I said awesome. Verse 12. I have a lot more things to tell you, but I'd rather not use paper and ink I hope to be there soon in person and have a heart-to-heart talk. That will be far more satisfying to both you and me. Everyone here in your sister congregation sends greetings. Big truth from John. Did you hear it? Did it sound more like a letter? I felt like I was listening in on something, um, somebody speaking to someone whom they love and they desperately want to share truth, but they shared that truth in what? Love, right? Right? It was not independent of love. And so that's, that's how John approaches this letter. And so I thought the best thing we could do after we went through the homework, and I know there were some difficult truths and some difficult questions, but what we're going to do is we're going to break it down. We're going to break it apart into a couple of different pieces, three different pieces. And, and I'm going to go through the beginning, the first three verses. We're going to talk about the greeting and, and, and the byproducts of, of love and truth. And then we're going to move through creed and conduct. And then lastly, um, how John says, Talking on a letter is a poor substitute for face-to-face. Okay, So the beginning, he starts with verses 1 through 3. And I just read them. And the thing that struck me was this greeting, right? This greeting in love. So he sets the tone from the very beginning. We talked about that, who we think it might be to, who it was from. We do know that it's written by John. Here's what's interesting. If you'll notice in the beginning, um, in the ESV and the NIV and some of the more standard translations, he's called the elder, not a elder. Did you notice that? In some translations, it's even capitalized, like a proper name. Um, something to note there is they. The understanding is that when these people opened up this letter, they knew exactly who it was from. It was not from a church elder; it was from the elder. So he knows. I mean, excuse me. They know who wrote it. He's writing it to specific people. We'll never know for sure exactly whom, but he's writing it with love and truth. Three byproducts he lists in those very first three verses. Three byproducts. And I love that because there aren't those words, grace, mercy, peace, those are pretty darn good words, right? Who wants those? Anyone? If I put a little stand up here and I said, $5, you can come. Right? We want those things. Um, think about it this way. You know, we hear those words a lot. We overuse them a lot as well. And I wanted to remind you of what those words mean. Grace is this. Grace is God doing for you what you do not deserve. God doing for you what you do not deserve. And in that same line of thinking, when I extend grace to someone else, I'm not doing it because they deserve it, right? We talked about the reward thing. That was not about grace. Reward was, in this situation, was talking about those things that you do that you earn something. Grace is not earned, okay? We need to walk out of here understanding that. It's a gift. The second um, is mercy. And mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. Awesome. Thanks, God. God not giving you what you do deserve. And the third is peace. And I I thought this was a very interesting definition I found. Peace defined this way. Peace is personal wholeness and well-being in life. Personal wholeness and well-being in life. All three of those things do not come naturally, do they? All three of those things I do not share naturally. That's where the love of Jesus Christ comes in. That's where the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what we know from, our, from the Word of God, that's how that helps us have those three things. It makes them attainable on some level. Verses 4 through 11 kind of dig down into some deeper stuff, don't they? The first three, it's like, cool, can we just hang out here for a while? I'm all about the grace and mercy and and peace thing. But no, 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 Chris, let's go deeper. Okay, verses 4 through 11. Here's what he starts talking about here. I loved how I found in one of my books, and then I love how they said it. You know what he's talking about here in these verses? He's saying this. He's talking about creed and conduct. Creed and conduct. Creed being what do you believe and conduct being how do you behave. What do you believe and how do you behave. Verses 4 through 11, we can get very caught up in some of the semantics. Am I right? Some of the things that were really hard. But what you need to understand is this is John in love in one tiny small piece of paper going, Hey guys, I got something to say. And I got, I got like a couple of verses. I'm going to say it really fast. And so he gives us truth about how we are to conduct ourselves. John encourages them to live in fellowship with true believers in verses 4 through 6. And then, and this was the big one, and this is where I want to I stomp down a little bit and talk about this. He also, in verses 7 through 11, he I wouldn't even say he encourages them. I'm saying he commands them to recognize and resist destructive false teachers. Right? Recognize them and resist them. But then he says, and this is where I think all of us went, what? He says, refuse aid. And promotion to them or their platform. So we're to recognize and resist these destructive false teachers, and then we're to refuse aid and promotion to them or their platform. So you're hearing that and going, Yeah, I get it. Like it was those Gnostics and it was those false teachers, like right back when the letter was written. I don't really deal with this stuff. Can I respectfully disagree? You know, this was hard because I think a lot of us immediately go to that place. Well, well, I'm supposed to love the non-believer, right? I'm supposed to, like, invite them in my home and give them cookies and stuff. And that's how they're going to come to know Jesus, because my cookies stuff, right? So that doesn't make sense because I, I thought that's what Jesus, God was love. I mean, what, didn't we read that back there, right? Did you guys get that? Did it kind of make you go, wait, I don't understand this. Let me, let me give you something to think about, and it involves math. Yeah, I know. This is, it's amazing. I said the word math. I found something that I thought was very interesting. When you're thinking in terms of recognizing and resisting these false teachers that can be destructive and can tear things apart. um, I found this interesting way of looking at um, how false teachers try to creep in and distort truth. Okay? Because remember at the time, what we're talking about were, were people that they were sitting shoulder to shoulder with in these tiny little baby churches, probably in these houses. Like somebody that is like in your small group and you're thinking, I thought, well, I thought we were like together on this. And all of a sudden, there's this, you know, they're talking about Jesus in a way that is not who Jesus was. And all of a sudden they're trying to promote things that, and it feels weird, right? And so, how does that happen and how do we know? Um, so, we do math. This is the only time I'm ever going to promote math in my whole entire life. Ever. Lindsay. Math. The only time, do math, yeah. the only time Lindsay does math is we skip it. Yeah. Okay. So there's this math thing. All right. Ready? So, so there's this spiritual mathematics strategy. And that is this is what happens when you have false teachers that try to creep in and distort truth. First is they do it by addition. They do it by addition. And by that I mean they add extra biblical sources of authority. They do it by prophets, they do it by pen, and they do it by professors. If you think of anything in this world right now that you know has done that? Guys, I'm there are religions and there are followings and there are philosophies out there that tell you, hey, this is good stuff. This, this guy is a cool guy. But then they add, don't they? They either add books. They add truth. They add things that you're supposed to take in conjunction with this. How about um, those situations where you have... um where, where you have someone teaching you something and all of a sudden they're starting to add something that you're like, wait, I don't remember Jesus ever saying that. I was at a Christian conference one time and I'll never forget it. I still don't know if it was just an error, but I, I was thankful that I noticed it is This, this woman was very like, charismatic and speaking and she was amazing and it was awesome. And everything was so true, 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 all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then she gets to this one point and she says this one thing and I went, I don't think that's in there pretty sure it's not and it was about it was about um, Mary and I thought okay number one thank you that the Holy Spirit would even convict me in a way where I would even question it because you know what if there is a speaker or a teacher or an author that you agree with 100% you need to check yourself right now because that is not truth you are following a person it's hard because sometimes we have really great, amazing teachers and authors. And, but really, really, I ask myself that. Like if there's somebody up there talking and I'm way into it and there's not one thing I kind of went, uh, or I even question, you got to ask yourself who are you following. Addition. Another way um, that, that, that false teachers creep in and try to distort truth is by subtraction. And they subtract from the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Okay? They deny his deity and they find his work of redemption inadequate. You, you, know, We've talked about these Gnostics over and over, right? That they did that. That they said, there's no way Jesus could have been a man. Well, if Jesus wasn't a man, then he didn't die on a cross and he didn't suffer. That's not the Jesus who was adequate as a, as, as a lamb to die for us. We have to understand that truth. We have to understand that he was fully deity, but he was also fully man, right? The third thing is there's division. And when somebody uses division, they take they divide allegiance from God alone through Christ and they and they spread it out to other people. Does that make sense? So all of a sudden you have that no longer is Jesus the priest that we go through to get to God. All of a sudden we add some other people. The other people, too. You've got you to go through these people and then through these people, then you can maybe get to Jesus and then through Jesus. You know, it's, it's, it's a direct thing, guys. We get to God through God. We get to God through God. Who is God? God is in three persons. That's Jesus Christ who came and physically lived on this earth, who showed us how to live and then died for us. And then guess what? Then he left God with us, didn't he? Pentecost came in the book of Acts and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit lives in us. If you're a believer, you have it in you. I know sometimes it can be really hard to understand, but you need to know this. You love a God, if you are a believer, who loves you so much, he would never leave you alone in this world. He wouldn't leave you here to do this by yourself. No way. And so I think this one makes me madder than anything. How dare we try to minimize that only Getting to God is through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, through God the Father. The the fourth thing is this, through multiplication. And I think this is more common than we realize. I think a lot of times we try to pretend like, oh, this I would never, none of these things. I would never deal with any of these things. And we kind of go, wait, do I live my life this way? Multiplication. They multiply requirements for salvation. Ouch. They all advocate some form of works. To get to salvation. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he talks about reward here in 2 John, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about independent from your salvation. Remember what salvation is? Remember what grace is? You don't earn it, it's a gift given. You don't deserve it. Have fun, have a good day. But those rewards that he's talking about are a completely different thing. Those are those we're going to do this Christian life, and at the end of it, when we face God at the throne, He's going to go, "Hey, I saw what you did. I saw that you gave that parking place to that girl. That was really good. Good job." That's what that is. That's not dependent upon your salvation. Are we clear? It's not like, okay, I got to do. Oh God, I got a big list. I got a lot to do. X, Y, Z. Yeah, I got to do all these things, and then maybe I'm going to get to the throne. I'm going to go. Am I in? Right? That's not how our God works. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. Addition, subtraction, division, multiplication. Is it starting to seem a little more clear now what he was talking about? Listen, um, he doesn't mean don't invite nonbelievers into your home and be good to them. He doesn't mean that. Is the lifeblood of Christianity love? Yeah, love unbelievers. Love believers. Yes, do that. Um, You know what you don't do? You don't give Satan a base of operation. You don't give him a foothold in your home and in your church and your community. You don't, you know, here's, here. I thought about this. What if somebody walks into your living room right now and lights a match and starts throwing it around your house? Are you cool with that? Your kids hanging out over there, your dogs. Oh, that's good. You just, here, can I give you more matches? How about lighter fluid? That's what happens. You know, I have friends and um I'm sure I've been this person before where sometimes I rest on this idea of because I don't want to deal with hard truths with my children. I, I kind of get to this place where I'm like, oh, I don't want to have to have that hard talk because some of the stuff, just a little bit of the stuff is hard to talk about. Am I right? Like, like all of it, like a lot of it. And sometimes I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to just raise them up and, and um, I just want them to discover truth on their own. I mean, I want them to, you know, to, to examine the world and make those decisions on their own. Can I just say this? Um, is Don here? Because I might really get fired for this. Shame on you. Shame on you for saying that. Here, here, little kid, take this book of matches. Now, I want you to discover truth on your own. When you run it against that black thing, I want you to just discover what happens. We don't do that, do we, Right? We have a responsibility, whether they're your children or whether there are other people that are in your care. Children, young believers, other people in your family. We have a responsibility to share truth. We have a responsibility to share truth. But as we'll find in just a minute, we got to share truth in what? Love. Makes it a little more complicated. I feel like this needs to be said. A lot of us glazed right over this part and we thought, oh, I would never allow Satan with his horns and his tail into my living room. I just wouldn't do that. Well, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. And we decide we're going to let this world educate our children and our families about truth. we got to stop that, right? Don't let someone throw a lit match in your living room. Don't give blind tolerance. Don't give boundaryless hospitality. Don't give unlimited exclusive I mean unlimited inclusiveness all those things that's not loving in truth that's not that at all that's giving Satan a foothold and saying hey here take my family and my school and my church and just go have a good day I heard um Adrienne said this I thought this was so cool she was talking about her aunt who um would invite um, people when they'd come door-to-door, like um, who was it, the Jehovah Witnesses, I think she said, and they were, you know, because that, that's part of their, they are passionate about what they believe, right? And they go door-to-door to door and they tell us. So she said she always loved to have them and she'd bring them in and she'd give them tea and cookies and, and she'd sit and she'd listen and give them some time to talk and share. And then she'd go, okay, now I let you share, now it's my turn. I'm like, that's awesome, right? That is awesome. It's not like she was um, aiding them and giving them money and promoting them. And she, she listened. And then she said, now it's your turn to listen. I think that's what he's talking about here. He's not saying don't, don't spend time with non-believers. He's not saying don't share your home with nonbelievers at times. What he's doing is saying don't give them a pulpit. And don't give them something to promote these false These aren't truths, these false lies. Be kind, be a listener, um, pray for them, love them. You can do those things. But that doesn't mean that you blindly tolerate things, that you have no boundaries with your hospitality, or that you are unlimited in how you include them in your world. That's what John is trying to tell these, these readers. That's what he's trying to tell us. The last part of the letter felt good, didn't it? It was like, oh, finally, we have a sign off. I was like, I'm just like, oh, it's a letter. I loved it. Um, but he reminds us of this. And I think this was important for me to hear as I am parenting teenagers and also living life. Anybody else living life? Okay, good. Yeah, this is for you. Here's what he's saying um, communicating with people via. Well, he didn't say this. Text, Twitter, Facebook, letters even, is a poor substitute for face-to-face, right? A few Bible studies ago I shared about how my daughter, she would always get so irritated at me when she was like three because I'd like play Barbies with her, but then I'd like half be on my phone or doing whatever because I'm like, she doesn't even notice. I'm just like, yeah, you know. And she'd go, mommy, mommy. And she'd grab my face and she'd go, listen with your face. And I'm like, listen with your face. I think God does that to me all the time. Hey, Chris, listen with your face. And I think that's what John's saying. He's like, I love you so much. I want to grab your face. I want to look in your eyes and I want to speak to you, speak love and truth into you. I want to see how you receive it. I'm not going to all bold, I mean all bold and all cap a text and wonder if you know what it means. I'm going to look at you in the eyes and I'm going to tell you truth. And then I'm going to let you look back at me in the eyes and you're going to see where my heart is. It's a poor substitute for face-to-face. If we're going to live, love well... And trust truth. So the principle for this section is this. Love plus truth. Remember I told you I smushed it together and made it a new word. So that's my new word. Love plus truth is not blind tolerance, boundaryless hospitality, or unlimited inclusiveness. Love plus truth is not blind tolerance, boundaryless hospitality, or unlimited inclusiveness. Love plus truth is standing on the firm foundation of truth... While loving God and others, they are not separate. If we're gonna love God and love others the way it's intended, the way Christ wants us, the way He came to this earth to show us how to do it, we have to do it on the firm foundation of truth. And so the logical question then is all right, smarty pants, what is truth? What is truth? Listen, if you were with us a couple years ago or something and we studied John, we talked about the greatest question in the entire Bible. The best question in the entire Bible was asked by a cynical nonbeliever. Do you remember who it was? It was po- Is it already on the screen? y'all? Oh, no. Okay, no, it's not. You're behind again. No, it's fine. It's good. I don't like the slides. Just cut them. Dang. Okay, I'm back on track. Pontius Pilate. Do you remember that? It was in John 18 through 37 through 38. I'm going to read it and kind of remind you because all of us, um, if we've ever been to Easter church service, we've probably heard this at some point, whether you studied it or not. Then Pilate said to him. Now remember, Pilate's the one who, who really has the power to free him. Like he has the power to say, all right, Jesus, you go back and you're cool. And, and he knows, doesn't he? He's a non-believer, but he knows in the heart of hearts that Jesus didn't do anything wrong, doesn't he? He knows he is being thrown under the bus. So this is what he says to Jesus. Then Pilate said to him, Jesus, so you're a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into this world. Listen to this. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And this is where the greatest question in the whole Bible comes. Pilate says this, what is truth? What is truth? It's the greatest question ever. Cynical rhetorical question by a non-believer that we are still asking today. Are we not? Every one of us, believers, non-believers alike, that is built into our soul of who we are. What is truth? What is truth? I found this quote. I I thought it was fitting. It was by N.T. Wright and he says this. Truth for John is something that goes deep down and spreads wide. It goes deep down and it spreads wide. It is what happens when humans redeemed in the Messiah and renewed by the Spirit think, speak, and act in a way which corresponds to God's plan to renew the whole of creation. So for John, truth... Goes deep, spreads wide. It's roots, right? It's the foundation. John MacArthur says this, love and truth are inseparable in Christianity. Can't take them apart. Can't pull them apart. Can't do it. You know, we talked before about, you know, what if your house is on fire? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so seriously, guys, I I got kids. They're big now, but let's pretend like they're little. When the house is on fire, what am I going to do? Guys, get up. Get out the door. Get out the door. We can't be here. We can't be here. We have to go. I'm not going to let them discover that on their own, am I? There's truth that they need to understand. Why am I giving them that truth to get them out the door? Because I love them. Right? Those two things together. I heard this a couple different times this week. And so when that happens, I always feel like God's going, hey, you're going to have to say this. And I'm like. Oh, this is not going to be easy. Um, Here's the thing about the whole love and truth thing they're both equally important, but we all lean one way or the other. Is that fair to say? We all lean one way or the other. Love is like this. It's, it's the grace. Because like, grace is the way that we show love. Grace is the way the Lord showed love to us by saving us through his son Jesus. Grace is the way I can show love because I can extend something to you that you did not earn. Right? That's love. So think about this for a minute. If I say love and truth are different and we all kind of lean one way or the other. Th- listen to this and tell me where, you know, tell me, think in your brain. Where do you lean? Love grace. Do you want to love someone into the kingdom? You want to just love them so much. You want to bring them into the kingdom. You want to love them unconditionally, just without boundaries. Just love, 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 love. Uh, you know what the danger is? That there's a temptation to look for a loophole, to water down truth, right? To search for theological voices that find someone to agree with your position. Because you want to love this person who is in a situation of sin and they have no remorse. And they don't want to face truth and they don't want to deal with it. But you just want to love them out of it. I just love you. I just love you because God is love and Jesus is love. and There's danger in that. There's danger in that. And the same goes for the whole truth side. Like, do you lean more towards the truth? Are you more like the truth girl where it's like, well, the Bible says this, or, you know, Jesus said this, and you just you skip the love thing? You're like, I'm really good at repeating truth, especially on Facebook when I don't have to look you in the face, right? I'm really good at it there. And I'm just going to say all this truth, and you guys know that this is true, and this is true, and this is true, and I lack love. Does anybody hear me? Does anybody even listen or do they just shut down the mic because they're so tired of hearing me hit them over the head with a two by four? Is that, what is that? The danger with this only truth, no love, is that without the balance of love, you decide that you are the judge and you are the jury, right? That's who you are now, right? You've got it all figured out. The interesting thing is if you think about this for a minute, you have love and you have truth. And if you lean just even a little bit to one direction, there is such division, right? All the people that are in your truth tribe are like, what are you doing loving? You're not supposed to love those people. You got to only, you, we got to stay here in the truth, Right? Well, let me give you a little thought to think about for just a second. If you um, all you do is love and you don't have any truth because you're just going to love without limit and God is love and everybody, all the religions are the same. Everything's the same. We all love. Let me tell you this. Division is from Satan. You realize that? Division is from Satan. Don't pretend like that's not a real thing and he's not a real person and he's not a real force because sometimes... We think because we love, 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 love that there can't be anything wrong. Well, maybe Satan's creeping in and dividing and making you just ignore truth. Or maybe over here you think, I I know every Bible verse. I've done every Bible study. I have all of them. I'm no Beth Moore. I am Beth Moore. And you don't love. Satan creeps in and says, you don't need to love those people. We only love who follow our rules and who agree with what we agree with, right? It's so messed up. Satan divides, Jesus unites, bottom line. And so as you see, these two things, they have to come together. Otherwise, Satan just runs with them, doesn't he? He does. He runs with them. Let me tell you this. When we get into this letter, we see, and like I said, um, in, in the message version, he refers to truth with a capital T, which was weird. But I started thinking about that. And I thought, you know what? It's not as weird as you think. Because you know what truth is meant to be? Truth is meant to be, the incarnate truth, which is Jesus Christ, and it's also meant to be the written truth, which is God's word. Those two things, okay? So all you love people, listen. don't don't tune me out. Listen to me for a second. You can love, 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 but if your foundation is not on the incarnate truth, which is Jesus Christ, and the written word of God, which is his word, and you're not studying and trying to understand, then this love can get real empty real fast, can't it? And the same goes for those of us that are all stuck in the truth. Hey, there is one thing you can know for certain. Whenever you wonder, am I supposed to love? What am I supposed to do? I feel like I'm not supposed to love that person. You know what you can ask yourself? They should make a bracelet that says, What would Jesus do? It would make so much money. <laughs> I'm gonna trademark that. But it really is true. Like, I feel people often, like, I have these conversations with people, and we find ourselves in these conversations, and all of a sudden I'm like, Hey, you know what? I think that's like a thing that Jesus said. I think he talked about that. You know, he loved truth, quoted it a lot, lived by it, had a foundation of it. But you know what he did? He loved. And I'll promise you this with certainty. If you have questions about truth, if you're the love girl and you can't really figure out how to reconcile these two things, let me promise you this. Truth does not contradict itself. It does not. If something that you believe is truth is in contradiction of what you know about Jesus, you better check it because it's probably not what you think it is. And the same goes for love. You truth people, you, you, ca- you cannot own truth and not love. That's who Jesus was. They go together. Love plus truth. They go together. Well, In closing, listen. Oh, wait, I forgot to give you the principle. Has it been on the screen? Let me just say it out loud with words, and then we'll move on in closing. Um, the principle is this, that truth is the self-expression of God that goes down deep, and spreads wide in the life of the believer. Truth is the self-expression of God that goes down deep and spreads wide in the life of the believer. Truth has got to be the foundation. Listen, um, we're going to close with this. And it was another one of those moments where three different times this verse came up. And so I feel like I need to, I got to say it. John 1.14 says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace, full of truth. You know what was brought to my mind this week? Grace, mercy, ultimate expression of love, right? And in this verse, he's talking about who Jesus is. And guys, he's full of grace and he's full of truth. Both full. Where are we lacking? I know where I lean. Are you, are, are you heavy on the love and light on the truth? Because I don't want to see the truth because then that messes up how I love. Are you heavy on the truth and light on the love? Because i got to invest in people that I disagree with and I don't get to you know, say my things behind the safety of Facebook. Do you understand that we're supposed to be full in both? That's who Jesus was. Grace is doing for you what you do not deserve. And oftentimes he extends grace to us and we have to do what? Extend grace to others. As we wrap up, I know you all got a little piece of paper and you're wondering, what is this little piece of paper? Here's what I want to challenge you to do for just a second. I think we all can look at this and see where we are, right? I'm not asking you to say it out loud. I'm asking you to spend just like a minute or two, we're going to be quiet we're going to pray silently. And I want you to take that piece of paper. And I want you to really pray about it. And ask God, where, where is the part that I need more work on, Lord? Because these both have to go together. Otherwise, Satan divides. What are the things? Lord, I'm lacking in the fullness of what? Write that in. Don't write your name on it. You don't have to do that. Right? Write what you're lacking in. Pray about it. Ask him silently in your chair right now whenever we start praying. And then I want you to write one more sentence. And I left it little on purpose because you don't have to give God knows the details, guys. Isn't that a revelation? Like can we walk out of here? Amen. That's the greatest thing ever. He didn't need all the details. But ask him to change your heart. Because he does that stuff. You know, that's kind of like his business. He's really good at it. Ask him, where do I need fullness? where are those places you can change my heart? And write them down. And then this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Matt's going to play some music. We're going to just chill and close our eyes, or don't close your eyes because you've got to write stuff, and pray silently to yourself. And then when you're done, I'm going to ask you to do this. Bring your paper up, and I want you to set it up here. And I'm going to read it out loud. No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not. I wouldn't do that. But I am going to ask you to set it up here, and I want you to think of it this way. And I don't want to be hokey, but I want you to consider it this way. Will you offer it to the Lord? Will you say, God, I am giving you this because I'm going to pray about this and then I'm going to walk out of here going, Lord, I trust you and you're going to take care of this thing and you're going to help me lean one way or the other to try to get my balance full. Will you trust him with it? So drop him up here and then go ahead and leave. And you know what else we're going to do? I'm going to ask the nine small group leaders and Becky and Mary after we have a minute to pray to come up here. And if there's somebody you want to pray with, will you go up to one of these girls? Because let me just tell you guys, if you haven't stopped and decided who you believe this Jesus Christ is, this is the time. It's like right now. It's like this is now. That full love, full truth only comes from Jesus Christ. And so if you don't know him as your Savior, if you've never prayed and said, hey, God, I am a mess. I need you. I need you like right now, like five minutes ago. Now, will you come into my heart, into my life, and help me make sense of all this? If you haven't done that, there small group leaders that will pray that with you you don't have to say words like really but just know that he has brought you here for a reason it is not a coincidence it is not for nothing it is for a reason so we're going to take a second and I just want you to pray and when you're finished drop your paper off and you can take off or pray with our small group leaders whatever you want to do just make sure you go get your kids on time or I'm in trouble okay let's pray